Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Hey, it's good to see you. I want to welcome you again to Canyon Creek. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online from home for our live stream service. We're glad that you're tuning in this morning. And if you're joining us for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, I want to encourage you and ask you to do me a favor, and that is to fill out our Connect card. Uh, there's a few different ways that you can do that. Uh, if you received a bulletin on your way in this morning, we have a, a Connect card there. And then a little bit later in the service, we'll have a QR code up there on the screen and a phone number. We just want to get some information from you so that we can serve you the best way that we can. We're so glad that you're here. And I also want to, before we jump in, just give a big thank you to everyone who gave and served and was here yesterday for First Blessing. Uh, can we put our hands together for that awesome team that served... Yeah. We served about 145 children in their families here yesterday, and we had decisions uh, for Christ from children, from adults. It was an incredible day. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for being here, for helping out, for contributing, for making that event happen. It's one of our favorite events that we now do each year here at Canning Creek, and I'm just so thankful for your support in that. And Palm Sunday, you know, as we've been mentioning already in the service, uh, this is the start of a very special week. And Palm Sunday is the day that we uh, remember and celebrate the entry uh, that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on his way to the cross to be crucified and, and of course, buried and, and rise again. And I was telling the team just before service that seven years ago, I was in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which was awesome, unless you don't like crowds, which is kind of my thing, not, not a big crowd guy. And uh, over the course of that week, the Holy Week, uh, from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, about 19 million people go and walk each, each one of these days. Obviously not all on the same day, but of course throughout that week. And that's exactly what we're doing this week, all right? We're walking into a very special, very holy uh, week, and we're so excited about everything that we have planned. We have a good Friday service at 6.30 on Friday evening. It's gonna be a great time for us to come together and remember the cross. And then we'll gather, of course, at our normal time, 10.30 next Sunday, which is Easter, and celebrate the resurrection. We're really looking forward to it. We'll also have a potluck breakfast on Sunday morning at nine, so you can stop by the bakery on your way in or bring a breakfast dish, and we'll be looking forward to, to eating with you. It was such an exciting week, uh, and it's good to be back uh, out of town last week and glad to be here to close out this series called Difficult People. This is the fifth uh, message of this series, and this is my favorite one of all five, all right? For a little over a month now, we've been singling out these difficult people in our minds and trying to figure out what to do with them, right? Not really. That's not been the goal, okay? We've been learning a lot. We've talked about how to love people. We've talked about how to relate to people, how to listen to people, how to not react in anger. And today we're going to wrap this up and we're going to go a little bit deeper and we're going to talk about what our relationships could be, all right? We're going to talk about how to have relationships that heal. We're going to talk about how we can have relationships that actually provide a sense of healing, And I truly believe that that's the case, that God gives us certain relationships for our healing. And I'm not necessarily talking about physical healing. 
I'm talking about the kind of healing that we can experience when we walk through difficult seasons of life with other believers. And God gave him himself to heal us, right? We have a relationship with him and we have his power and we have prayer. That's what we're gonna dive into today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to James chapter five. We're gonna pick up there in just a moment. But the big truth that I want to set the stage with this morning is this, and that's that the deepest place our relationships can go is to the level of praying and confessing and trusting God together, all right? In other words, there's a, a level of relationship where we can just be surface level and have this face-to-face small talk, hellos, goodbyes, but not necessarily how's your soul, right? And then there's this much deeper level of relationship that comes when we work really hard to develop a very close relationship where we're truly walking through the ups and downs of life with someone else. And that could be a marriage relationship, it could be a friendship, it could be a small group relationship at the church, but in any one of those various different kinds of relationships that we've talked about, there is a level to which we can go that is deeper than the surface level small talk relationship. And basically what that looks like is pursuing God together, all right? In other words, to put it very simply, talking about God and to God with one another and for one another is the goal that we should have for our relationships, all right? That's as deep as it goes. We should be pursuing relationships like that, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. James chapter five, we're gonna start in verse 13. This is what James says. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins, all right? There's a lot going on in these verses and I'm gonna try to sum it up for you very simply. Here's what James is saying. He's saying, when you're suffering, you should pray, all right? When things are going well, you should praise God. When you're sick, you should ask people to pray for you. With the people that you're closest with, you should confess your sins to them and pray for them. And you should pray like Elijah did because he was a human being just like you and I. And when you do, you'll restore the people around you to a spirit of prayer. And when that happens, God begins to move and do amazing and wonderful things. And the end result is that lives are changed and people are brought back to Jesus and that's the goal. So that's what James is saying in these verses. So today I want us to talk about the gap that takes place between normal relationships and godly relationships. And our default approach when it comes to relationships is probably to be somewhere on the normal end of the spectrum, right? 
The way we live, the way we relate to one another, the way we approach marriage, the way we approach friendships, sometimes we even do this within the church, we settle for normal relationships, okay? Here's the problem with that. In normal relationships, we tend to minimize our struggles. That's what happens. We say, I'm fine, I'm all right, everything's good, it's not a big deal. Yeah, my life is falling apart, but we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, my kids are rebelling, but I don't need your advice. Yeah, my health is suffering, but I don't really need you to pray for me. I'm running out of money. It's all okay, though. In normal relationships, we minimize our struggles and we act as though the deeply difficult things that we're walking through really aren't that much of a problem for us. And we keep our distance and we don't ever let people in. We play it safe because we don't want to get hurt. And we put up a a facade because we don't want people to see who we really are. And we fake it. And it's not healthy, all right? So to sum it up, in normal relationships, we minimize our struggles, we keep our distance, and we only talk about what is natural and comfortable and safe. Because if I bring up my struggle, you might judge me. Or if I bring up the fact that God can do great things, you might give me a funny look. So I'm just gonna play it safe because I don't want to threaten the comfort of our relationship. That's what normal relationships look like. So now let's talk about godly relationships. Let's talk about the difference that Jesus makes. Because if God is real, if he's powerful, if he's personally involved in our lives, then he's going to make a big difference in our relationships. He's gonna change the game. He doesn't want to leave us in our comfortable, natural, normal, default state. He makes things different, all right? So how do we go deeper in our relationships? How do we have godly relationships? How do I involve God in my normal relationships to change them, to make them better? I believe we find the answer in James chapter five, all right? He gives us the answer to all of these questions. And I wanna give you today four ways that we go deeper in our relationships as we wrap this up. And again, these principles apply to all relationships. We're not just talking about marriages. We're not just talking about couples. This applies to your coworkers, your friends, whatever it may be. Here's the first thing we do. Number one, if we wanna go deeper in our relationships, we have to believe in the power of prayer, all right? I don't know about you, but I believe in the power of prayer, all right? But here's the thing. I probably don't believe in prayer as much as I should because it isn't always my first reaction or my first response, right? In other words, I have a tendency to sometimes try to fix things on my own before I turn to prayer. And I sure hope I'm not the only one that's still working on that, right? (laughs) If we wanna go deeper in our relationships, we need to believe in the power of prayer. How does James open this in verse 13? He says, is anyone among you suffering? What should he do? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. In other words, when things are good, when things are bad, when things are anywhere in between, what should we do? We should pray. And out of the various occasions of my life that might cause me to pray, 100% of them are qualified, all right? In other words, prayer is always appropriate. It's not just a duty that we fulfill. It's not just something that I wake up and do because the Bible tells me I need to. It's not just something I do to keep God from getting mad at me. No, prayer is literally the way that I get to talk to the creator of the universe. And he's always available and it's always appropriate. In other words, there's never a wrong time to pray. So James says, when you're suffering, you should pray. 
When you're happy, sing praises to God. When you're struggling to make it through the day, it's time to pray. If you've had one of the greatest days of your life, it's time to praise. When things are getting difficult, you turn to God and say, hey, I really need your help. And when things are going very well, you give credit where credit is due. Prayer is always appropriate, regardless of the situation. And there are two realities to this verse 13 that I wanna highlight for you today. And the first one is this, that when we're hurting, prayer acknowledges God's sufficiency over all of our needs, all right? In other words, when we're hurting, Prayer is what says to God, I trust that you are the source of my healing through this. I trust that in this moment of pain and this moment of suffering that you've got this, that you're sufficient, that you're enough, all right? In fact, if you wanna get really, really good at mastering pain and suffering, memorize and believe these three words, God is enough, all right? Even if I run out of money, God is enough, Even if the car breaks down, God is enough. Even when my family seems to be falling apart, God is enough. Even when my health is failing, God is enough. When we're suffering and we pray, we're expressing to God, you are sufficient for this situation. You can handle this, you've got this, you're enough. So when we're struggling, we believe in the power of prayer. Now the other side of that verse is the praise part. And here's, here's the reality that I want you to understand about that. It's that when things are good, praise acknowledges that God is sovereign over all of our circumstances, all right? So when we're hurting, he is sufficient. And when we're thriving, he is sovereign. The good, the bad, in between. When I'm hurting, I pray to God and I believe that he's sufficient for my needs. And when I'm good, when things are okay, when I'm walking through a a good season, I praise God and I give him the glory because it acknowledges that he is sovereign over my entire life. In other words, when I'm struggling or when I'm good, either way, God is in charge and he deserves my prayer, he deserves my praise, and he deserves the glory, all right? W.A. Criswell, one of great heroes of our faith in, in this century that we're living in, says this. He says, prayerlessness is practical atheism, all right? In other words, if I don't pray, if I don't ask God to help me when I'm struggling, if I don't praise him when things are going well, I'm ultimately making a statement that I don't believe that he's able to meet my needs, that's, that's what prayerlessness is. I'm making a statement that I don't believe that he wants to get involved in my life. Your prayerlessness says something about your faith. It's practical atheism. So I can stand up here all day long and talk to you about my faith in God, but the way I express my faith in God is to pray and say, God, I believe in you enough to pray to you regardless of what I'm going through. All right, in other words, the amount of time you spend in prayer is a direct reflection of how much faith you have in God. And that's the foundation. And that's why I love that James started this passage with this idea of prayer. We need to believe in the power of prayer. We need to believe that prayer is powerful, that it does things, that it changes things, that it makes a difference. So let's leave the practical atheism behind and start to say, you know what? I trust God enough to pray. All right, you with me this morning? How do we go deeper in our relationships? We believe in the power of prayer. Here's the second thing, number two. We depend on others to pray for us. We trust that when we ask someone to pray for us, that their prayers actually make a difference in my life. 
When I ask someone to pray for me, I'm not just asking them to acknowledge that I'm hurting. I'm not just asking them to acknowledge that I'm going through something. I'm not just trying to get attention. I'm not just trying to spread the news. I'm not just trying to share a a juicy piece of information that you might be interested in, no. When I ask someone to pray for me, I believe that God wants to get involved in my situation through the prayers of this person. But here's the thing, asking someone to pray for you requires vulnerability. It requires you to be real. And that's a very important component in the part of going deeper in our godly relationships. Verse 14, James says, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now the word that James uses for sick And this verse is a particular word that we typically translate as weary or tired or weak. But it's used throughout the New Testament in a lot of different ways and a lot of different contexts. Sometimes it's used to represent a physical illness. Sometimes it's used to represent a spiritual or emotional illness. Sometimes it's used and it's just saying that I'm down or discouraged or depressed. It's used in all these different ways throughout the New Testament. But James uses this very general word for sick. And he says, whatever sickness it is that you're dealing with, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional or mental or otherwise, it's always appropriate to ask someone to pray over you, all right? Now, James uses the word elders, and he's essentially talking about the pastors or the shepherds, the the teachers, the leaders of the church. But he's not saying that we're the only ones who can pray over you, right? He's just saying, hey, ask the elders of the church, but ask others as well. And then he says, They're to pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, all right? Now, usually in our Baptist context, we get very hung up on this. But there are two different words that we use for oil in the New Testament. One of them describes a, a ceremonial sort of anointing with oil, but that's not the one that James used in this passage. The, the word that James used for oil here has to do with an ointment or a healing oil, something like this, all right? So he's basically saying, The elders of the church will come and they'll pray for you and they'll anoint you with oil to provide care for you as they pray over you. And that sounds confusing to us. That sounds mystical to us. But James is actually talking about something that's very practical, all right? Throughout the Bible, there are certain metaphors or images that are attached to the Holy Spirit. In one passage, we see the Holy Spirit like a dove which signifies that he's the one who brings peace to our lives and our situations. In another passage, we have the Holy Spirit pictured like a fire, which signifies, I believe, the way he stirs in our hearts with boldness and ferocity and intentionality. And in another passage, the Holy Spirit is pictured like an anointing oil, which brings comfort where there is none which brings strength when we're weak, which brings vitality when we're down. The image of the oil being associated with the Holy Spirit signifies the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which renews us and restores us and heals us and strengthens us. So when we read about anointing oil, the oil is a symbol or an element, just like the bread and the juice that we eat and drink when we take the Lord's Supper. When we do that, We're trying to make it very clear that the bread and the juice are just symbols, right? This bread is not literally the body of Christ. Thank goodness. 
This juice is not literally the blood of Christ. They're symbolic in the same way when we baptize people. There's nothing magical about that water. It's not holy water. As a matter of fact, it's the same water that comes out of your sink at the house, all right? It's a symbol of going down into death and coming up into new life. And in the same way, when we talk about anointing with oil, the oil is a symbol, okay? Which means you can accomplish the exact same thing without the oil. (laughs) So in case you're thinking, man, I really missing out. Every time I had the flu, I should have had some oil to anoint myself with. I could have gotten better so much faster. Listen, the oil does not have any magical or mystical properties. It's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And you can pray over people and you can experience God's power without the presence of the oil. But sometimes the presence of the oil helps us to mentally and emotionally and spiritually understand the picture that God is the one who covers us and heals us. Does that make sense? Yeah. So ultimately, James is saying, when you're sick, ask the church to pray for you. Then he says this, verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. There seems to be in these verses a mixture of physical issues and spiritual issues that James is discussing. And I think he's doing that on purpose. And again, he's talking about all these things in general terms. When you're weak physically, pray for physical healing. When you're weak spiritually, ask for forgiveness and forgiveness will come. He tells us to ask others to pray for us in both of these situations. And he goes on to say, the prayer of faith will save the sick person, all right? Now, a lot of people read that verse and they feel guilty. We think when James says this, he must be saying that if I can just muster up enough faith and pray a prayer of faith, that God will answer my prayer. That's not what James is getting at. And some of us really struggle with guilt over this. We think, well, God's not answering my prayers the way I'm asking him to, so I must not have enough faith. That's not what James is getting at. When James talks about a prayer of faith, he uses a very unique phrase that describes a prayer that is spoken with a confidence in God or a faith in God that is already there when the prayer is spoken. Now, does that mean that it's always God's will to heal every sick person who is ever sick, physically speaking? No. If that were true, if God did heal every single sick person all the time, then we'd all still be here, right? We would never die. And here's what's wrong with that. We'd never get to go to heaven. But if we're not careful, here's what we do. We view physical healing as the ultimate experience. Meaning if I can just be physically healed from my illness, that would be the ultimate answer to my prayer. All right? Here's the thing. Physical healing on this earth will never be the ultimate experience because only heaven is the ultimate experience, okay? Now, does that mean that we shouldn't pray for physical hearing here on earth? Not at all. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We should absolutely pray for physical healing here on earth, but that physical healing will never be the ultimate experience of God's hand and his power at work because we will not experience that until we're in heaven. So the reality that we live in is that God doesn't always 
heal us physically. Sometimes he does. I truly believe that God does heal people physically, just not always. In fact, if you asked me, do you believe in divine healing? My response would be, there is no other kind. There's none. God alone heals. Sometimes he does it with medicine. Sometimes he does it with chemotherapy. Sometimes he does it with bandages and stitches. Sometimes he does it with new science and research. Sometimes he does it miraculously. Sometimes he does it instantly. And sometimes he does it ultimately. And we leave this earth and we go to heaven, which is no less of healing. So when we pray for someone who is sick, we pray with a spirit of confidence and we ask God for healing. We pray a, a bold prayer of faith, but no matter what, we trust that God is sovereign overall, all right? So before we go into the next section, I wanna reread what we've read so far. Verse 13, he says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven, all right? The emphasis is not on the fact that the elders of the church are going to show up. The emphasis is not on the fact that there will be a physical presence of anointing oil. The emphasis is not even on the fact that the prayer gets, gets prayed. Here's what James is trying to get across to us. When you're hurting, you need to ask people to pray for you. When you're hurting, you need to ask for help. When you're hurting, you need to turn to your godly relationships. In other words, when I'm going through something, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to reach out. It's okay to lean into your church family. It's okay to rely on each other to pray over you and trust that God will respond to their prayers however he as a sovereign God chooses to do so. All right. So how do we go deeper in our relationships? We believe in the power of prayer. We depend on others to pray for us. And here's where we go really deep, all right? Number three, we confess our sins to one another. Amen. We confess. Now, I went to Bible college. And Bible college is a really interesting place where you meet a lot of really interesting people who do a lot of really interesting things, all right? But they mean well, maybe, right? Who knows? But I started with a group of 16 freshmen who had the same major that I had. And by the end of it, four years later, only four of us graduated from the College of Christian Studies. But that first year of school, you have to pay to do this wonderful course for an hour every Monday and an hour every Wednesday, where you meet with all the other freshmen in your college, in your major. And there was one of the guys in our group who had this very pseudo-religious question that he would always ask every Monday and every Wednesday. This was how the conversation began with him. It was this, what was your most recent private and sinful thought? Would you be willing to share? Probably not the way to do this, all right? It's probably not the best way. I'm not encouraging you to walk out into the lobby after service and start asking people that, right? Don't stop someone at the door and say, hey, what was the last sin you committed, right? That's, that's probably not the right way to do this. But here's what I am saying. There's tremendous power and strength that we find when we open up about our struggles and our weakness and our sin and our mistakes, right? What does James say in verse 16? He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Amen. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. James says, notice, 
If you confess, you'll experience healing. The Bible tells us that we receive forgiveness from God instantly when we confess our sins to him. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we agree with God about our sin and confess our sin to him, he immediately forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But in order for you to heal from the consequences of your sin, in order for you to grow beyond where that sin left you, you're gonna have to do something really hard. You're gonna have to talk to somebody about it. And here's the thing. Confession to God brings instant forgiveness. Confession to people brings healing and growth, all right? And here's why. Because God created you and he knows you. He knows everything there is to know about you. You can't hide a thing from him. He knows your most private, the deepest, darkest places of your heart. He knows all of your insecurities. He knows every motive that you have for everything that you do. And in his all-knowing, sovereign way, he decided that the way we're gonna grow beyond the mistakes we've made is to walk through it with other believers. Praise God for that, right? (laughs) Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you go online and confess your sins to the whole world. It doesn't even mean that you come up here and confess your sins to the whole church. You just need someone. You need someone. It could be a brother or sister in Christ. It could be a spouse, a best friend, someone in your, your group. You need someone that you can be very honest with who will walk with you and pray with you. At the end of the day, that's what we need. We need to build for ourselves a safe place that we can go with our weaknesses and our sin. The funny thing is, the outside world does this better than the church does, right? I talked with a friend of mine this week who's been walking through something for quite a while and he uh, basically went to his church, a very big church, and looked for some help and some support, some encouragement, whatever it might look like. And they basically had nothing for him. So he went on Reddit. If you're not familiar with Reddit, it's basically a massive social media platform. Sam or Austin could probably explain it to you better than I could, but it's Reddit. And he found a virtual support group that he's been active in for about a month. So I got to look in on Reddit and I found support groups for people who have problems that I did not even know existed. All kinds. There are support groups for people with problems that we know exist, like alcohol and drugs and lust and pornography and all these things. There's a support group for every kind of struggle in this world on Reddit. Now, I'm not telling you that you should go home and get on Reddit and join a bunch of people who have the same problem that you have outside the church. I'm simply pointing out the fact that sometimes people outside of the church, people who probably don't know Jesus, they're far more practical about this than we are. And here's why. Because we've grown up in this religion that says if you're open and honest about your struggles, then the church will reject you and throw you out. And I've seen it happen. John Baker founded Celebrate Recovery and he often says this, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I know what you're thinking. Happy Palm Sunday, right? (laughs) Listen, 
I want you to experience healing. I want you to experience freedom from bondage. Jenny Allen said, we might feel stuck in our brokenness, but far worse than that is to be alone in the dark in our pride. It's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be painful. It's gonna be uncomfortable, but you need someone that you can be fully open with. How do we go deeper in our relationships? We believe in the power of prayer. We trust others to pray for us. We confess our sins. The final thing, number four, we restore what is broken, all right? If you want to have deeper, more godly relationships, you have to believe in prayer. You have to ask your friends to pray for you. You have to be honest about your struggles, your weaknesses to the appropriate people in the appropriate setting. And lastly, we then work to restore what is broken. Next verse, verse 17, James goes on to say, Elijah was a human being. Okay, I don't want you to miss that because when we think of Elijah, we think of this wonderful prophet that God used. And of course, that's exactly what he was. But what was he underneath all of that? He was a human being. Back to week one, how many of you are human beings? Every single one. If you're not raising your hand, everyone's really afraid of you, all right? Elijah was a human being just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Please don't pray that prayer, all right? All of Texas will be so upset with you if you pray that prayer. It says he prayed again and the sky gave rain. The land produced its fruit. James says, my brothers and sisters, interesting transition here. If anyone among you strays from the truth, and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins, okay? Notice what James didn't say. He didn't say, when someone from your church family wanders away in their struggle, shun them. Didn't say that. He didn't say when someone in your church family is really battling something and they're stuck in it, criticize them. It's not what he said. He didn't say when someone walks away because of the sin in their life that we should judge them and tell them they're not good enough. That's not what he said. He didn't say when someone starts to wander into a messy situation that you don't really wanna get involved in, just keep your distance and stay safe. He didn't say that either. He said, when someone among you starts to wander, go get them and bring them back, okay? Listen, God's goal for every lost and broken soul will always be restoration. God's goal will always be to save them from the direction that they're heading in. God's goal will always be to heal what's broken inside of them. And he uses the church and he uses prayer. And he has challenged us and commissioned us to be a place for the broken. I believe the church ought to be the safest place in the world for us to talk about our struggles and our problems and our weaknesses. But the reality is, it's not. I believe the church should be the safest place in the world for me to come and say, I'm addicted and I can't quit on my own. And the church at that moment should say, we're here to help. 
The church ought to be the safest place in the world for me to come and say, I've done this thing and I'm ashamed of it and I'm stuck in this and I don't know how I'm gonna get out of it. And the church should say, well, here's what we think of you. We think that God created you in his image and that you're immensely valuable to him and his love for you is not defined by the mistakes you've made. Let's work on restoring you. Let's work on healing this situation. And yes, it might be difficult. Yes, it might require confession. Yes, it might require asking for forgiveness. It might require counseling. It might require therapy. But we as a church should be ready and willing to walk through it with you. Canyon Creek Baptist Church will always be a place for the broken. And I say this often. If you don't like a church that welcomes broken people, then you're gonna hate heaven. You're gonna hate it. The end goal of life is not to be better than someone else. It's not to win. It's not to compete. It's not about being richer or nicer or more religious. Jesus gave us the goal of life and it's called the Great Commission. It's about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. It's about finding the broken and receiving them and welcoming them and sharing the gospel with them, leading them to repentance and faith, believing that God forgives any and all sin that is confessed before him. Difficult people. We're done. What I want to leave you with, it's this, that God is powerful enough to change even the most difficult person's heart. And Jesus believed that. He came to earth and when he was asked what his purpose was, what did he say? He said, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. He came for the hurting, for the broken, for the blind, for the lame, for the prostitutes, for those who couldn't walk, for those who were under financial hardship, for those who were living in poverty, for those who were oppressed, trapped in slavery, trapped in addiction. Jesus left heaven and he came to them and for them. And fast forward now in the year 2023, he's still looking for them through his church. We are the agents of that. And our goal should be to restore what is broken. We don't wanna stay safe. We don't wanna remain shallow. We don't wanna just show up for an hour on Sunday and sing some songs and go home feeling good and recharge for the week. That's not the goal. This is the pep rally, all right? We come here for encouragement and teaching and worship. And then we leave here to go find people to share it with. And Temple, Texas is full of difficult people, full of broken people. And Jesus is sending us to go get them, all right? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today and we thank you so much for the powerful words of James that we've been studying for the last five, six weeks. We pray that you would help us to take all of these truths, all of these principles that we've learned and apply them, Father, to our everyday lives, to our relationships. We know, God, that we encounter difficult people everywhere we go. We know that we are difficult people. We know that there are tens of thousands of people right here in our community who are hurting and who don't know you. And we pray, God, that you would use us to reach them. Put us in their path. Father, put us in the path of people who are trapped in sin and brokenness and give us an opportunity to share the truth of the gospel with them. God, we come to you today as people who are broken, people who have made mistakes, people who just can't seem to get it right. And we humble ourselves under 
your mighty hand. And we thank you, Father, that we experience new life in you. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, for the cross, for Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you haven't placed your faith and your trust in Jesus. Maybe you've never responded to the gospel and you're ready to make that decision today. It's the best decision you could ever make in your entire life. The Bible tells us that Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. We all fall short, we're all broken, we're imperfect, but Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die because the wages of our sin is death. And we were destined to pay that debt, but Jesus took our place on the cross and died the death that we deserve to die, paying the penalty for our sin. And then he rose from the dead to give us new life. And the Bible says, if you call on his name, he'll save you, he'll restore you, make you new again. Total transformation. And if that's you today, you wanna place your faith and your trust in Jesus, I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Church, let's make this our prayer together today. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.